Hello, animation fans, and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 66. In this episode, we have Casey McDermott joining us. Casey is one of our game instructors. Uh, he's worked in film, commercial, music videos, previs, as well as games. Um, he's currently a senior animator over at Blizzard Entertainment and has worked on Overwatch and World of Warcraft. It was a real neat opportunity to get Casey in on this podcast. Um, I think anytime you can get somebody who's worked in multiple disciplines of animation and pick their brain, uh, it's just a, a neat opportunity. Um, he's led teams. He's uh, excited about animation and games in particular. Uh, so it's just, like I said, a really neat opportunity. Check it out. Also, if you can remember to subscribe, like, and share, we'd greatly appreciate it. All right, Casey, I uh, really appreciate you joining us on this podcast. I know it's a Saturday morning. It's neat to get a little bit of your time after a full work week, and you, know, you have a family, young family too. Um, so it's just really neat to be able to get some of your time and appreciate you joining us in this podcast. Of course. Thanks uh, for having me, Larry. This is a lot of fun. All right. Um, as I kind of mentioned brief before we started here, I love getting to know the person behind the art form. So how did you come into this amazing art form that we all enjoy? You know, was it something that you grew up wanting to kind of get into or circumstances kind of come across your way and all of a sudden expose you to it? How'd that work? Yeah, I actually grew up in a family of artists. Um, and so my mom actually was an ink and painter for Disney for a long time. And so was my <laughs> grandma. And so, and my aunt and uncles are both animators and effects artists. Oh, my man. aunt was uh, an animator for Disney. Uh, my uncle was probably the, the original one, and he started back like Sword in the Stone and worked through to Home on the Range. That's so I remember awesome. As a, yeah, so I remember as a kid uh, going to the studio, and as a little guy going to the studio, um, I remember all like the animator and ink and painters always like take me to the Disney store and be like, "Hey, get him a Chippendale doll." You know, I remember it was like the greatest thing ever. You know, as a kid, you get all. These <laughs> but it didn't really um, didn't really sink in at that time. You know, I was just it was just something really neat. And my dad, at, uh, on the other hand was uh he played he was a really big into baseball he was really big into baseball and he played to a pretty high level at some point and my my youth that was really all i wanted to do was get into sports and baseball and i got pretty far i played collegiately and then a little bit beyond and injury as most people who get into an athletic profession at a high level injury is what ended where i was going and um i spent a year on a computer and i love video games just to preface this i would play hooky just to watch the Star Wars saga. You know what I mean? Like I would watch I, I or Jurassic Park. Those were Jurassic Park. I watched six times in the theaters as a kid, so like it had a big impression on me. You know, and I I was also homeschooled, so my parents when they when my Very mom cool. would leave to go <laughs> when my mom would leave to go do groceries, I remember like I'd fire up that the video game system, be like just get as many games in as I could. So I was a huge gamer growing up, <laughs> and, and until she caught on, and she would do this thing where she would close the garage door and then come in through the back door and find <laughs> what are you doing but so yeah yeah totally um so I, I was always into video games and, and film and entertainment in that regard um it wasn't until my injury and i was totally immobilized um I actually had something called an immobilizer on my knee for about nine months and i just started playing in Lightwave at a junior okay college. yeah yeah I've and that program yeah, yeah, dude, it was a really bizarre program. You had to have like a modeling program and then yep. an animation program, and they had to feed into each other. It was really yeah. bizarre. And that was my first introduction to it. I just remember thinking how enamored I became. All of a sudden, that's all I wanted to do. It was, it was that and play World of Warcraft, and that's basically all I was doing <laughs> in college. And 
I got, you know, I'm saying this, like I feel sneakier as a kid thinking back, back in my childhood. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> we'll make sure your mom doesn't hear the podcast for a while. Oh yeah. She'll, she's much she already knows now. She knows. <laughs> Um, so I accidentally put her credit card number into my Blizzard account so that I could have her subscription. <laughs> and she was like, why is there a $14 charge to my account every month? I was like, oh, no, mom. Um, <laughs> she wised up, but – or wised up that. So I was, I was playing a lot of games and, and, and really into the medium right, right, out of the, right off the get-go. So was it basically PC or was it any of the console at the time? You know, growing up, I played every console, but okay. it was in college that I didn't. I stopped buying consoles and just started doing PC games okay. because that's what I had, and I didn't want gotcha. to buy the consoles. Um, so yeah, yeah, and then I just got really into PC gaming, FPS. I played a ton of like Day of Defeat and Counter Strike, and man, it was just our my dorm room. There was four of us in there. Was just a was like a PC bang. It was just a <laughs> land party all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was kind of my journey. Oh, and then while I was at that junior college, I looked around for like internships for game companies in film, and I wound up getting an internship or as a production assistant, or maybe as a better, I don't know if it's an internship or production assistant, but I uh, it's like kind of the same thing at that at what I was doing was the same thing, and I just went and it was in Sony Computer Entertainment America down in La Jolla, okay. and I just got to kind of be involved in all the mediums they kind of taught me a little bit of modeling they taught me a little bit of animation just the real basics of everything and i was just trying to figure out and what was great about that is i could ask people where i where i could look for more information at the time they're pointing me to like the the Nomen dvds because that was this was in 2005 i guess so they, that's really what, the only thing that was available online you know oh, yeah um and so that's kind of i just soaked up as many of those as i could and and then from there on i just kind of started to take off more and more now, did you know what you wanted to do initially? Because as you mentioned, you know, jumping into something like Lightwave where it's got, you know, it's a full 3D package and got modeling, rigging, animation, jumping into, you know, the apprenticeship that you were there doing again across the board. Was there anything that you were gravitating for towards initially and kind of had adjusted or did you just it, animation pick you up right away? Um, I didn't know. Well, I always said. You know, when I started playing baseball and I started like, I think it was Toy Story and like a lot of Pixar films had started really catching on at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, well, just, my fallback will be a 3D animator. Like that was an easy okay. thing to do, you know? Uh -huh. And I started to take like little art classes here and there um, as my GED, I guess you could say. Um, and once I started in Lightwave, well, I, I was always, I always loved motion. And I think that because of the level of, uh, of sports I played. Right. I watched recordings of myself at slow motion. I was watching okay. my fulcrum points and the weight and the balance and how things were evenly distributed and how force you can see force and rhythm through the body and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff that we were breaking down, watching like the way you pitch or the way you hit was really transferable knowledge. Nice. So how yeah. break yeah. down records. Um so my first thing I'd made, of course, was a short film, which is I don't recommend anybody to do ever. It's the dumbest thing for any young – do as many little things as possible. Don't do not do the biggest don't thing. Don't jump into the – yeah. <laughs> and I remember – it was actually um, when I met my, my wife now, uh, and she remembers when I was working on it. I, all I was animating was I, – I just wanted to animate the grass in the background. Again, I was just focused on the motion of it, and the rest of it was terrible, but the grass looked great. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and then when I, when I started going taking more classes – I found that all the other classes of general knowledge as far as modeling and lighting and texturing and rendering went, um, I didn't care anymore. I just wanted to do bouncing balls and walk cycles. And I just gotcha. really kind of fell into it. 
and and I think there was I had a teacher at the time. His name was Chris Eckert, and really distinguished um, generalist in in the industry. Really uh-huh. awesome instructor. And somebody asked him in a class at one point in time, like, "Do you ever?" do you ever animate your own stuff? And he just kind of scoffed at it. And he's like, dude, I can model, light, render, edit, or I can animate. And it was a really interesting way to think of it because of the amount of things, not just button pushing, but theory and acting and performance and balance and everything else that goes into animation. It's like the same amount of time to master all of those things. Right, right. I thought that was really unique. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So now you went to that um, internship how long did that last or what did you jump into from there? Yeah. So that lasted for about three months. Um, I was working on like major league baseball, the show, I think is what it was called at the time. And so they're like, Hey, you, and they, and SCEA in La Jolla has the big, at, well, at the time had the biggest motion capture studio stu- or stage in the world. Hmm. Um, you could fit like a 747 in there. It was, it's massive. Wow. And, um, they found out that I could swing a baseball bat, so I became the mocap guy for baseball. And I was like, man, this is great. Um, you do two loves that you enjoy, huh? Yeah, totally. It was a great, <laughs> it was a great uh, segue, you know? It really was. And from there, they kind of just pointed yeah, – again, they just pointed me which directions to go for the things I was interested in, and I just kind of took that information. And in fact, what was really great about that is those people that were taking the time to help me then, I've kept in contact with them even to this day. Oh, and very I cool. them, and, and I hope I have – shown them my thanks for their time that they they gave to me at the time because you know they could have just been like oh my god this guy is just an ass in the seat and he's just taking up time and you know they could have just pushed me to the side but they stopped and really um for instance i, I don't know if I, i'm sure i can say this but uh one of my buddies his name was tang and he was the one who took me to SIGGRAPH for the first time when R- Rapunzel was at the time. Glenn Keane was talking about it. Wow. Okay. And I remember thinking to myself, that's my goal. I want to do that. That's mm. what I want to do. And and I didn't have a badge, so I went to SIGGRAPH as uh, Tang. I don't look much like a Tang, so <laughs> – but uh, it was great, man. It was awesome, and I, it, that was the thing that really lit a fire under me of what I wanted to do. I thought you were going to say you use your mom's credit card to. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have it anymore. She changed the cards. <laughs> yeah. All right. So from SIGGRAPH, how did the progression run about? Did you have to join into something, you know, get more schooling or did that uh, yeah. suffice it at um, the internship there or how did that work? At the time, um, there wasn't a whole lot of specialized uh, art schools in 2005. So again, like Noman was giving DVDs and they had just opened up a school, uh, a brick and mortar school. So I actually wound up going there because um, at the time, everybody at SEA was like, if you want to learn all of these things, this is where you're going to go. This is a generalist program. It's different now. They have a bunch of different courses and whatnot. But so I actually went there and um, to my surprise, I think to my surprise, they, they only accepted like 24 students twice mm-hmm. a year. So I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know how I, I'm like if papers got mixed up, like maybe they ran into each other and papers were flying and then my name landed on the wrong pile. <laughs> Cause I didn't have much of an art background in all honesty. Uh, I'm a terrible draftsman. Uh, I can't draw to save my life. I, you know, those are, those are those people that say they can't draw. And then you go to lunch with them. Like, Oh dude, you, you lied to me. <laughs> you know, you lied to holding me. out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with that applause. Like, like, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So and I went there and, and, I think that was the thing that was great for me there is that all these walks of life came in with 
varying backgrounds and I just learned from a lot of the people that I surrounded myself with and a lot of those a couple of them were my best men my best men's at my wedding and cool. um, you know it was and I work with one now he used to sit a couple desks away so oh, right it was a good experience <laughs> um, after I left that though I got a job two weeks right after the school there but I remember the and I was at Rhythm and Hughes and I remember starting with a couple of people and I'm going to call another guy here named Jeff Croak. Jeff was this incredible animator, and everything he did looked like the rhythm of it. There's flourishes and texture. And I remember seeing the first dailies as we were all kind of training because they used a proprietary software called Voodoo. Mm -hmm. um, we were all training, and I remember the first dailies, and I was so sick to my stomach because of how leaps and bounds, if I were looking critically at mine and his work, I was just like, oh, God, I have got a lot to do. <laughs> and I, did, I just uh, – I just I needed more school. I need more education. And they all were very helpful, but I just was I was depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get better. Now, did you um, work with uh, Daniel Krug at all? Oh yeah, Klug's one of my good buddies. Actually, very yeah, cool. Klug is one yeah, of my. He went really through good our buddies. program, and uh, I actually I took a class with him with Jamal Bradley. At oh, time. that's awesome. So yeah, I thought, but he I remember him. I had a podcast with him, uh, Joey Brown, and. Um, uh, Shoot, I can't think of his name right now. Darn it. Uh, anyway, but him talking about going through Rhythm and Hughes and such, and I remember, uh, I figured that was probably about the same time. Yeah, we were. Um, Daniel, I, man, I have so much respect for Daniel. I love Daniel McClug. He, um, he's one of those guys that he has, uh, in, in, a, in a dailies or a session where you're getting a feedback session somehow, it doesn't matter how hard or rough the feedback is or how it's being delivered. I've never seen anybody have it just roll off his back like water or like roll off of him like water on a duck's back. Right. He just took everything in stride with a smile on his face. And that was something I, I remember asking him at one time, like, Luke, what do you, what is it that makes it so you can just be, you just shut it out and be okay with everything? And he gave me a quote from Winston Churchill and it was something along the lines of like, oh, shoot, what is it? Um, those who fail or go when you go from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm, that's what success is or something. Or that's wow. most, most successful people go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. That's what it is. Mm, very cool. And that stuck with me ever since. And I was like, very cool. Yeah. Cause once you lose that enthusiasm or that passion for what you're doing, it's, it can, you can see it in the work. Everybody else can see it in the work too. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to that point, there are times where I play with this, this game with my students, um, both for their demo reel and for their shots. And I'm pretty right on every time. And I'm like, that's your favorite shot. And they go, yeah, how did you know? Because I can tell which one you had the most fun with. And then on a, on a smaller shot, I'm like, that's your favorite. These 30 frames, your favorite part of that shot or your, that work. And they're like, yeah, that's my favorite part. And there's just something you can tell. A little more is put in, huh? Yeah. Like for Frank Thomas, when he would draw, he would just scribble those things that like you could just see the angst and the angry line work because he was just trying to find it. But that means that there was something that really meant something to the, him in those drawings. And right, right. you could just tell, you know, mm -hmm. which ones meant the most. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And then you probably would have been there with uh, clean. Uh, we actually had a. Keen. Uh, oh, Jason Keen. Jason Keen. Yes, I wanted to see so, Daniel, but I knew that was right. Yeah, Jason was there at the same time. I've had a, he's been one of our instructors and had him in as a podcast as well. Yeah, I actually used to sit next to Jason. We had we shared an uh, an office together for a while. Okay. And Jason and, and Klug actually were roommates, so I, we'd always call him Klug and Keen. It was like <laughs> <word>. <laughs> Klug and Keen. Um, yeah, Jason. Jason was always one of those guys that everything he did, you're like man, he just he he had a way of seeing the lines and the rhythm and it was always appealing. He always brought great appeal. 
That's just funny. What a small world. I mean, here's yeah. two other guys that you've worked with at the same time in the <laughs> program, and one's been an instructor. And yeah, that, that too funny. Yeah, they're both great. Man, they're both amazing people. So uh, I can't I can't think highly of of more people. Honestly, they're they're great dudes. Awesome. So then you were as Rhythm and Hughes. You were there for how long? <laughs> Excuse me. The first time I was there for like a year, <laughs> and then like I said, I. Uh, I felt so depressed at how, you know, like if I, I am one to be able to look at my work and other people's work and see what I'm missing to get there. You know what I mean? Like maybe I don't know how to get there, but I can see which one's better than mine. You know, I, if I, I'm very critical, I think mm -hmm. we're all critical of our own right. work. It's always easier outside looking in, but, uh, I beat myself up sometimes probably too much, honestly, when I don't, I'm not happy with something. And so I went back to school at the time, the only online, course that we had was um animation mentor it's around 2008 or 2007 when i started yeah, we didn't start till 2010 so yep yeah yeah um so I, I went through the course there uh and then halfway through the course i got the itch to start working again so then i went back to rhythm for an additional two years after that while going to school for the remainder of it mm -hmm. uh of the program and that was uh that was a nightmare for a while because <laughs> rhythm, <laughs> rhythm worked a lot of hours. You know, they do blanket overtime, so people were working sixties to the point where we would make like these little games. We have a video. We had this big fan, oscillating fan. We just tilt it up, and then we'd all play this game where we try and throw this ping pong ball into this like solar <laughs> cup in the middle. <laughs> it was really funny. Keen was there. Jason Keen probably remembers fan ball. Because um, you know, a lot of times in those instances, you'd be you get all your work done, and you were just kind of waiting for notes from the client. In, in a visual uh, effects house, so but you had to be there because those those notes would get back at like eight o'clock, and then you'd be working till ten or whatever longer to to address those notes for the, gotcha. for the dailies. Um, shoot, I don't even know where I was going. With that man, I do tangents real bad. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't so just your time there, you wanted to get back there, but it was very oh, yeah. challenging because of the schedule. Yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. The, the schedule was hard, and then um, I was doing online courses at the same time. And I promised myself uh, I would never animate at home when I didn't want to, because again, that whole idea that I could kind of see when people are enjoying the the work that they're doing, mm -hmm. I felt that if I didn't enjoy it, it was going to come out as in a way that wasn't enjoyable. So typically, I would spend my time with a buddy of mine. Actually, his name's Craig uh, Craig uh, Eikoff, another great ga game developer and animator. We would spend, and he was from Australia, so he, we were a little bit different time zones. Okay. But assignments were due at like 11 a.m. on Sunday, and we'd stay up all night from Friday, all day Saturday, all night sun, uh, all night Friday, all day Saturday, all night Saturday. Submit at 11, and then I'd pass out the rest of Sunday and go to work on Monday. <laughs> and this is when, like, the first time I was living with my fiance at the time, and it was not healthy. It wasn't not ideal. Yeah. No, it wasn't ideal. <laughs> that only lasted for like six months, and then it was back to just working. And, yeah. <laughs> much. But at the same time. There was no better way at the time to like cram as much knowledge into my head in a short period of time. I don't think it's healthy for anybody to do that, but I did. I learned a lot. I learned a ton because I put these constraints on myself to get it done and, and learn as fast as I could. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. That's a great point. There's, I, I don't think anybody likes you know sometimes the schedule of our industry where there's these, but you go sometimes you just it's it's putting your you know you did uh, athletics at a high level, there's times when you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable position to grow, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so same thing with this kind of industry too. There's times where you go, look, I'm just going to have to take these little peaks here to, to 
get up that high part on the mountain and then I can kind of go again. So absolutely. And, and to that point, like we, when I played baseball, one of the traveling teams I had, they, we always had these shirts that said, uh, the, the coach was a really great coach. He was like a really great manager. And if you messed up on the field, you'd be like, what were you thinking? And most people, most people, when they hear that kind of like shrink into a shell and they go, mm -hmm. I don't know. And they're afraid yeah. to answer that question or, or are they, are the reverse? They fight that, that question. Like, what are you talking about? What am I thinking? But he was genuinely searching for your thought process. Right. And if you made a choice because that's what you think, he'd be like, okay, I can see what you're thinking, but let's, let's clear this up a little bit. Right. Yep. yep. And what was great about that is the parallel between that discussion and then the feedback discussion and animation there it's the same conversation yeah, yep sometimes to not step on somebody who's has an idea but listen more to what their idea is and find the clarity in it you know what i mean it's hard to correct something if you don't know where they're coming from totally yeah and a lot of times in feedback sessions you hear people just throwing suggestions at a wall but the caveat to that is that if you, it's finding the common thread it's not necessarily that any one of these suggestions is the right suggestion but if all of them are pointing at frame 39, then there's probably something with 39 that's not correct. And mm -hmm. it's up to you, the person who knows the shot or the work inside out that will make that ultimate decision or should have make that ultimate decision. But listening to what they're saying, you know, you might, they, someone might come up with a great solution, but they might all be terrible solutions, but there's something there that needs to be clear or fixed, right. I think. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, um, from Rhythm and Hughes, the second time, how long were you there? Uh, almost two years. Okay. Um, yeah, almost two years. Uh, and then after that, I left. They were moving everybody to Vancouver. Mm. Um, I wasn't really interested in that at the time. We were getting my wife and I were getting married, and you know, just it wasn't wasn't a good time for me to do that. Although I've always been interested in living in Vancouver. It looks like a beautiful city, and I've actually never visited and. You know, I know a lot of I have a lot of buddies there that that love love the love the area. So never got to experience that, but I wound up staying local and I worked for uh, MPC. They have a commercial house in Santa Monica. Okay. I did a lot of commercials for a few months. I did some cinematics and some game animation from for a third party company called uh, Brain Zoo, which is in the the Valley. Okay. And. And then I worked for a company called Moving Color that was working on R&D projects for uh, Disney Imagineering. So, oh. I, so I worked on, on some stuff that I don't know if we'll ever see the light of day, but it was really unique. It was really fun to be part of that collab for sure. What, and, what were some of the projects? Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. What were some of the projects you worked on at uh, Rhythm and Hughes? Uh, Rhythm and Hughes, I worked on – my first movie was uh, Ninth Museum 2. I worked on, I think, two of the three Chipmunk movies – uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins, okay. Aliens in the Attic. I can't remember that. I think there was like six or seven of them during a, a pretty small window. A hop was at Easter. Okay. Window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. And one thing that was great about Rhythm and Hughes, I thought, is that they had a lot of like really great top-notch animators there, but they took a lot of opportunities or gave, they afforded, they gave a lot of opportunities to some newer and greener animators sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe couldn't get a job at Pixar or Disney or something like that, and they they gave those people a chance, and and they trusted them to learn and grow, and that freedom I think allowed for a lot of the people I worked with at Rhythm Hughes scattered to be great, great personalities and great leads and leadership all around the industry. You know, gotcha. Um, and so it was really cool to to watch all that happen and be a part of and learn from a lot of those individuals. There's probably, okay, sorry. There's yeah, probably yeah. Other, there's probably one other guy that you might have known there, uh, JP Ryan Miller. Mm. JP is one of my really good buddies. 
Yeah. You went through our you. program as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I started when you said hop. I remember, uh, again, I did a podcast with him. Um, he was one of our alumni and I remember him working on hop. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. JP's a great dude. He's, I think at Vicarious Vision now. It's a yeah. Yeah. Subsidiary. Or the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think of where he's originally from. So yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. It gets yeah. close to family and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, JP's a great guy. Um, so now you stayed there in Southern California. You mentioned you worked on, worked at MPC and things like that. How far before then did you jump into something like Blizzard? So um, I was freelancing around, I, you know, between jobs, I'd always freelance. Um, but when I left Rhythm, it was probably 10 months of just straight freelancing. Okay. Uh, and it was really nerve wracking because out of those 10 months, six months were talking to Blizzard. And the reason, so I had jobs in, in and out and I was getting offers from other companies to work for on other projects, but really I wanted Blizzard. So the hardest part about Blizzard is the hiring process is, is tough and it takes a long time. And mm-hmm. the reason why is they, they want to make sure that they hire, firstly, they hire adults, they hire people that, that uh, question what they're doing and think about and, and are able to collaborate and, and take feedback and give good feedback um, and that they can fit within the culture of that, of, uh, you know, this upfront feedback. And, you know, we have a policy. It's like, if, if anybody has an issue with the animation that I've put into a game, they should be able to come over and talk to me specifically, just, just have a conversation and a discussion of what they don't like and, and why, or how they feel when they play it. And, and then it, again, it's up to me and the common threads that I receive through feedbacks to determine if it's an actionable point And mm-hmm. if I make an adjustment, uh, based off of that feedback. Gotcha. Gotcha. So th- that is hard for a lot of people who haven't been in that, ex- had that experience. And it was, was a culture say, shock a, for me. That's a very cool atmosphere, but I can understand where not everybody might be used to something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was definitely a culture shock for me. And, and the first time I was, the first project I was on, I don't think I did it right. I don't think I was open enough. I don't think I walked, or, I don't think I got out of my chair enough. I don't think mm. I got all the powers that I need. I don't think I raised my hand when I didn't like things enough. I didn't, you know what I mean? There was things I was, right, right. Too, I was too green to understand what I was supposed to be doing. Gotcha. Um, it was a great learning experience and I've definitely, I might raise my hand too much now, in all honesty. <laughs> uh, all right, we got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so the process, it, it, for the moment they contact you, you're gonna have like phone interviews with HR to kind of figure out your rate and availability. Then you're gonna have phone interviews with the team to see if they like just the conversation. And then after the conversation, then you're gonna come in for like a six to seven hour interview where you're gonna meet with like a bunch of different people. And then the questions are hard. There's good cop, bad cop, there's mind games. You know what I mean? There's all sorts of wow. things. And I think that really the thing that helped me get the job was my wife baked cookies. And so I brought <laughs> cookies to my interview. And all right. that worked a lot. There you so go. there's a tip heads for up. you guys. Yeah, yeah. Heads up. <laughs> <laughs> we love cookies. <laughs> so that that's awesome. And that's right there, your backyard, right? Real mm-hmm. close. That's yeah, good. about 10 minutes away right now. Nice, nice. Um, so now how far or how long in that process did you learn to adapt to the culture? So um, the first project I was on uh, was uh, – a, 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 you know, it's known as Titan and it went down. So I was on it for a little over a year and I was just, you know, I was learning how to use the tools because as an animator on the, on, on that team, uh, you didn't just animate and then throw it to somebody to implement. It was up to you to implement as well. So you're working, working with blend trees, you're working with engineers to make sure that you have the right, uh, 
you know the right data and right scripts to to make things be fluid. Right. And that was all new to me. You know, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, know coming from rhythm and hues and all those, that was more yeah feature and such. Yeah, and even in the games that I had worked on in the past, I would animate and then I'd give it to somebody else. Uh, okay. You know, that was kind of the environment I was in, and I never thought that there was more. Honestly, I didn't. I, my eyes weren't open, and I felt like I jumped into the deep end. And the more I learn about it, the more excited I get about creating more things in it. But gotcha. It felt like I was back at school again. You know what I mean? Where I just I didn't know anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so and terrifying, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after after kind of like tightened down, I think we had like 120 developers, maybe more at the time, which is a lot. Which is a big team for something that hasn't announced or released a project at, at that moment. And this is 2000. I guess 12 now, and um, after that, I, I, they they wanted to keep a lot of the majority of the talent that they had acquired, so they kind of moved us around to different teams who needed help because they had releases that year. So I actually went to World of Warcraft for uh, World of Warcraft team for a year, which was uh, a great experience. Jeremy Collins was on the team. Jeremy Collins, Kevin Rucker. Kev, yeah, K Rux was on there. Um, of our instructors here and uh, working on that. Huh? They were great. Kevin Rucker came on a little after me, and he brought some, so much great appeal and style and ideas to the team. And he was – man, I learned a lot on that team, and it was a really good team. The The lead at the time was named Steve Aguilar, and Steve came from – I always joke that Steve was like my dad that I didn't know I had growing up because he like animated for Space Jam, which he hated to know about, and Animaniacs, <laughs> like all the Saturday morning cartoons. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. And I was like, Steve, you animated these. Oh my God, you like the, my parent I didn't even know, you know? And uh, he, he really cultivated this, this great team with this amazing culture. So there would be like guitars everywhere, and someone would just pick up a guitar and start jamming, and Jeremy can shred. So he'd get over there and he'd start playing. And next thing you know, like there's like a little kumbaya circle going on over there. And it was, oh, awesome. That's it was awesome. Yeah, it was just a really open environment and everybody loved each other and it was just you know what i mean it was just a really it felt like when you read these books about the 2d anime, like uh chuck amuck the chuck uh i gosh i'm totally brain farting right now uh chuck jones book jones you know? yes that's yeah. right yeah it's chuck early saturday morning for everybody listening we're still kind of half waking up yeah yeah i'm, I'm almost done with my coffee yeah um <laughs> chuck jones he wrote a book about his experiences and stuff like that and there's another one called the nine old men which Anastasia. Uh, published a few years back and you read these books and you hear about the environments and like the personality types of all these the the artists there and that I felt those environments on that team and I learned so much about communicating and talking and being okay with raising my hand and it was I I, they learned a lot and and at that point in time I was really interested in going to cinematics uh so I just put out of put out some feelers and, and a request and um uh, yeah, I went. I went there, and and everybody gave me their blessings, and it, it we, you know, I think that's something to 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 note is that I jumped from team to team to team at Blizzard, and I have loved every experience I've had, and I've loved every relationship I've built with these people, and 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 I'm so thankful and humbled by the amount of knowledge that they have all shared with me and this mm-hmm. information that they shared with me, and it was no different. So I went to cinematics, and I just got a, a whole new understanding of of their pipeline and, and, you know, more of a short film setting, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and how yeah. was working in cinematics versus what you had done maybe at MPC and Rhythm and Hughes where that was more VFX and like you said, uh, 
the cinematics, <clears throat> excuse me, there would have been more of a short film. How, what yeah. was some of the stuff you learned during that process? Um, so one thing I've really learned with cinematics, uh, as an animator there, you really are not just an animator. You, I remember like at Rhythm or even some of the commercial houses, again, you would animate, you give it to somebody else. But there was a lot of things that you had to check. For instance, when I animated, most of the things I animated, I didn't have clear, hair or cloth sim. So I would also, whatever time you give yourself, you have to have more time for hair and cloth, mm -hmm. you know? And they've since created some tools that are very useful so that, you know, to kind of, for the help of efficiency for the amount of things that they, they have to produce now. Um, but some of, I think probably some of the most important things I learned is I worked with the rigging crew and uh, the animation lead Hunter Grant to like really learn how they develop face rigs to be speedy for in-game um, something that would work for a pre-rendered high, like high fidelity and then also work for a quicker turnaround on like on an in-game cinematic. Gotcha. Um, and how to make a standardized rig from an animation standpoint and how to make the, the shapes appealing and work and then uh, and, and how to make you know again standardized for the simplest form and then build upon it for something that's a little higher fidelity gotcha. there's a lot of information i learned technically there um i think that the ability to just keep practicing learning like like character you know i mean overwatch in particular has I mean, they all do. I think a lot of Blizzard IPs have a ton of character imbued in, into their personalities. And, but Overwatch, for me, was a lot of fun because I got to really practice more character-driven stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and like I mentioned yeah. to you earlier, your reel is just amazing. There's Thank a lot of, lot of fun stuff on there. Um, yeah. Overwatch thanks. stuff in particular, I think, it just really is a lot of fun, I think partly because of what you're talking about right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. The character stuff's the most fun for me. <laughs> Even in game stuff, I love to find ways to show more character. You know, mm -hmm. um, and and yeah. Thanks for the the compliment on the reel because every time I release a reel, if anybody who's close to me and knows me, I am not very good at releasing things to the public. I don't like it. I have anxiety when I hit the submit button and then I'll be like texting my baby like dude I made a mistake I shouldn't have put this thing online this is stupid what am I thinking I what am I doing you know what I mean like I I, yeah. I just I don't know what it is I just downward spiral and just this anxious mess no I gotta <laughs> <laughs> okay I gotta ask you this too is that your um is that your personality or is that something that maybe developed through athletics the, re the reason I ask that because I have uh, I mentioned the podcast before. I wrestled at a uh, Division One as you know, so high level collegiate uh, Division One, and I'm can be very self critical as well. And it's I think that striving for perfection that you know, yeah. doing a sport at Division One level is very competitive. And so I'm wondering if that's part of your personality, or and or did it develop more because of athletics, where you're competing at such a high level, and the competition is getting so much more. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Um, I think it's both. I, I, okay. My mom is like really artsy and my dad is really logical. Like, 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 right. Like everything's type A, you know? Okay. Um, so he's really hypercritical of himself and everything that we do. So I think I got a little bit of that. And then I think that the high level of sports, um, I definitely was the type of person that if I had a bad game hitting, I was in my garage just hitting till my hands bled off of a tee. You know what I mean? Like I just, I didn't like walking away feeling like I didn't perform the way I wanted. Right. Okay. Um, and art in general, I think that there's, 
something really vulnerable about it because since it is our artistic interpretation of what we want to do or what we want to see, it's like a real truthful piece of us that we're just letting the world see it. And although the viewer may not realize that, I think that that's sometimes why feedback can hurt so bad is because that really is just a piece of you there. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And if yeah. you're if you're not willing to like be able to separate that that emotional connection, uh, that's when it can hurt the most. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I've got I, a question. And, Go ahead. No, no, no. That's I was just gonna ramble. So. Now, okay, I've got a question for you. <laughs> uh, and maybe this will be beneficial for those who kind of maybe are like us in that regard. So I remember taking a workshop, and uh, this was at the time with Ken Fountain, and we were, I think it was a f- up close facial assignment and we were on that one for half the workshop and I think at that time we were 14 weeks so it was seven weeks mm-hmm. he's like you know are you guys getting burnt out doing the same shot for that long yeah and most of the people said yes for me I wasn't because it was one of those things that it was killing me to make sure I got it right yeah yeah and it reminded me when you said that you could go back to the T until your hands were bleeding you know yeah have you found that in your career to be beneficial to keep being persistent or have you found that that's not always a good quality where you need to walk away sometimes and get a fresh eye? Does that help for Does that make yeah. sense what I'm asking? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I, what would yeah. be your, what you've I, learned? I think it's really easy to downward spiral if you allow for that. And honestly, okay. in my professional career, I think that that was, you know, the injury was a big part of it, but I think that the mental game of it, uh, I was too immature, honestly. Okay. Wore that stuff on my sleeve too much. Uh, I wasn't stoic. I didn't channel those emotions into something more productive. And actually, one of my my mentors, uh, like a personal mentor outside of school, was uh, Michael McCarvich, and, and he hmm. mentioned to me, he he told me a really great way of thinking about it. And he said that there's like a bell curve of time and reward. And if you think of a bell curve, you're like you're going up. It's like, man, this is great, this is great, this is great. And then also you keep investing time, and at some point, time it becomes detrimental. Hmm. And the reason why is because you've learned everything you're going to learn. Unless someone's going to like really – you know, there's that moment in time on some shots or work that you're doing that someone really has to hold your hand to pull you across the finish line. Right, right. And although if you have that uh, that uh, amenity to help you get across the line, that's awesome, and that will help you – that will boost you uh, into learning. But at some point in time, as you start – you'll, you'll start to it's, – it's almost detrimental. You're spinning your wheels at that point. Yeah, then you get frustrated, and you get yeah. – you go into the doldrums, and yeah, it's just – that that sucks. Yeah. So any advice that you've maybe learned during that? Is that is that the point where you get you walk away and maybe lunch or you start another project and come back to that one or get someone's yeah. fresh eyes on that? How, how have you typically handled some of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think that that's a, a stepping away. Like typically you have more, more than one assignment to work on. If you just mm-hmm. step away for a minute and then come back to it, like in games, a lot of times, even if it's rough, I'll throw it in the game and then I'll step away. And that way people can see it, give me feedback if, if I'm ready for it to be really drilled on, you know? Right, I mean? right, right. Um, if I think that there's something there, like a diamond in the rough, I'll put it in there and then people can give me the feedback. Um, in, in, in more of like a scene or, or performance animation, uh, I have to step away for a minute and then come back. And that helps me with two things. If at the moment I, it's, I see what is actionable, I can fix it and adjust. But a lot of times, more times than not, I will – and I think every animator has this thought process like, well, I would have done that differently. you know? Right, and, right. That helps me a lot too because a lot of times I don't think – and when you get to that point, it's not necessarily 
the polish that's not working. It's typically something at the foundation that's not working, whether the idea is not clear or the timing, there's no texture, there's no rhythm. There's something fundamentally that is wrong and we're trying to fix it with polish. Gotcha. And being able to recognize and identify that, I think for the next time and moving forward always helps, you know, to alleviate that process or that feeling more so. Gotcha. Okay, that's it always great. Happens. It always happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering how, you know, because it sounds like there's a little bit of a similar mentality. So I'm kind of just wondering how, what you've learned uh, that's kind of helped with that a little bit. Yeah. And then I think I always point to, there's three like graphs I always point to. One is the creative process. If you just type, you can just Google this, the creative process, which is like the first time you get an idea or a shot, you're always like, Ooh, this is awesome. And then immediately it's like, Ooh, this is trickier than I thought. And then you go, Oh man, this is shitty. And then you think, Oh man, I am shitty. And then <laughs> you go to, all right, this might be okay. And then if you're lucky, you'll get to, this is awesome. You'll get right back to that full circle, you know? Uh -huh. And then the other thing I like to point to is uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a, a really brilliant uh, Nobel Prize winning um, – it's not a theory. It's an actual thing. But it basically, everybody's played – have you played Smash Brothers, Larry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you know the first time you played Smash Brothers, you were probably just smashing, the, mashing keys, right? Uh -huh. And you probably did pretty well because nobody knew how to work with the chaos. Right, right. Right? So when we first start something, we get this really – large boost in confidence mentally like psychologically we get this large boost, boost in confidence We're like man i could just conquer i could just do this i'll be really good at this and as time goes on as people who are actually experienced learn your chaos they start to adjust because they are better right. and then you start to realize like oh so you're like oh man i'm really good oh and as you get to like the, the middle mid level of your career you're like oh man i am awful and as you become an expert you kind of come back to like a little bit more than all right i'm okay i can handle all this you know what i mean it, it, gotcha humble in, in a way but confident Right, right. Um, so, so Dunning Kruger so where, effect. Where are you at then on that? I don't. I'm like climbing up. I'm like climbing up. I'm not okay. an expert. But I'm climbing up. I'm I'm climbing out of those <laughs> those jumps. I have confidence in what I can do. But I was gonna say, looking at your role, you should for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still climbing. I think we all climb out of there. That's what I mentioned earlier. It's one of the parts I really, really enjoy about our field is just that constant learning. It's mm -hmm. always making it exciting. It's always making um, it, that adventure, but it is also that terrifying part where you just, you never feel settled. Yeah. You know? So um, it's, I, like I said, it's make it fun, but also challenging. So <laughs> I think that's good. I think that's good to never feel settled. I think that once right. that um, complacency sets in, that's a problem. Right, right. Then you're, you're not willing to grow. You're not willing to learn. And there are a lot of new tools, a lot of new theories, a lot of new workflows. There's a lot of great ideas out there. And as soon as you close your mind and become complacent with what you're doing, uh, you're kind of done growing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there's a lot of great animators out there that apply and then we'll interview. And you can just tell in the responses sometimes that they – you know, you want to exude confidence in, a, in an interview, but in overabundance, it can seem cocky. Right. Yeah. Almost they, like they just arrived and have nothing else to. Yeah. They're yeah. plateaued. You know, they, they're yeah. like, okay, well, what else are we going to grow with here? Yeah. So, yeah. Gotcha. Now, are you at the, on the cinematics team as presently right now? No, I actually have. Uh, last year, I moved back to uh, the Overwatch team. Um, okay. I just had this really big hankering to learn more game development. I really, I spent most of my, I, I played like. I'm a real gamer. I play a lot of games. And recently, I've really gotten into like Firewatch and uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. I play a lot of Overwatch. I'm a big WoW fan. Mm. Um, the Outer Wilds. I've been really into like these walking narrative simulators, you know? Gotcha. Um, and it just really inspired me to learn more about 
development. And again, I, I love competitive competition. So <laughs> Overwatch is huge for me. <laughs> <laughs> so now you've animated cinematics on Overwatch and animated in games on Overwatch. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Any, I know there's some similarities in regards to, like you mentioned, the character development, even in games. What are some of the differences jumping back into the game development portion of it? So, um, so kind of to point back to what we were talking about before, the one thing that was a culture shock to me when I was first there, like I wasn't ready to learn that, you know, I wasn't ready to be there for that. I don't think, uh, it took some time for me to, to, for my mind to mature and kind of be ready for it. And so, uh, in cinematics, you get a shot or a sequence or a series of shots and, you know, you work with the departments you need rigging or uh, layout or you know, whatever it may be that can help you get to what you're trying to get to. And, um, and that's, and then, but you know, 85% of the time you're at your chair animating, you're, you're working and, and that's great. That's awesome. And it's fun to really get in there and deep dive and polish. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest change is I'm at my desk like 30% of the time now okay. in game development because, um, I get an animation in the game. I need help from engineering, so I go talk to some some uh, some of the relationships I've built in engineering, and they are incredible. Although sometimes I feel like they're speaking in an alien language to me, my brain slowly starts to understand the more I hear the jargon, uh-huh. and, um, it starts to click more. But I go talk to an engineer, and then if if that works, then I can get a designer and see if this is all in alignment with what we're doing. And if all of a sudden the shapes are hard for me to work with, then I'll go talk to like modeling and concept and make sure that hey, can I clean up some of these shapes and everything so that when I'm making these performances, I get clearer silhouettes. And mm. it's it's very. And then I'm working with sound to be like, hey, I just check something in, get ready for this. It's really it's a lot more collaborative in that gotcha. regard. Gotcha. Um, and by the time you sit down and start to animate, you have everything's what's nice about it is everything is you know figured out and then you can just go Executed, you know, the time yeah. spent behind the box is really efficient at that point very cool that's neat yeah. um, and that's why we love getting guys like you in teaching our games or, or i mean teaching our workshops anyway but right now we're talking about games in particular because yeah, yeah. it's more than just animating it's the the whole process and pipeline of animation so it's just always neat to get guys like you who have been on both sides who know what the learning curve is to be able to come in and teach our guys and gals to mm-hmm. learn how to do the process there, what it means to just to get an animation into a, a game engine. Yeah, and I think that that's something that is not spoke on enough, or at least when I was going through school, is that you know people were teaching me how to animate, but like the 12 principles really are a small portion of how to animate. There is so it goes so much further and beyond those ideas and theories that have been created since then that really help support those ideas. Those are not to say they're not important at all. They're all found fundamentals and right. foundational. But at the end of the day, uh, most people who are interested and willing to put the time in will learn those principles. But what makes an animation stand out is not necessarily knowing those principles, but making the idea behind it clear and the character truthful and real and honest and that they exist in this world. And that's stuff that's harder to teach. There are some rules and some theories that, you know, in my class we talk about that kind of help guide making those, um, you know, just more apparent in the work. Right. And so sometimes I feel like, in my class, particularly, we kind of take. Although I teach a lot about workflow uh, and the way I work, I also talk a lot more about like the mental processes and <laughs> and the idea of failure as a tool and less as a failure as a um, 
as a detrimental downward spiral or something right, that could right. hurt you, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think that we kind of step away and I think that I try to build up those, those core ideas uh, instead of just how to push buttons on a keyboard. You know? Right, right. No, that's fantastic because that's career building for future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the hopes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what has been your experience teaching it in an online? Because I know I think we talked beforehand that you've taught brick and mortar as well. What has been the benefit for you teaching online? Um, I think the benefit for me teaching online uh, is just so with a, each of my classes, I create a Discord and so now I have several Discord for each class that I've taught, and and those group of people still stay in contact and like update each other on the jobs that they got and share uh, cool links that inspired them and mm. maybe send, share their demo reel for feedback within that small tight knit group. Gotcha. And um, when I went to online schools, that tight knit group was amazing. Like the ability to post something and have other people immediately give me feedback was better than working in a vacuum on a brick and mortar and then like going home and then maybe nobody's seeing it until the next time I show up or right, right. You know what I mean. Um, and then I try to be as I know I'm not the greatest at being readily available. It's just life is busy, but I always try to make myself available and respond to these, these discord chats and, and just keep an eye on them and, and, and help whenever I can. Um, because it's online, we have like this barrier of from our personal lives a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, which is nice because you know, in person, I, I'm not going to give up my phone number to somebody to have them call me when they have questions or problems. And, and oftentimes, I don't really want to give them my email either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the online form is really nice for constant communication should the student be willing to use it. And I, and the more oftentimes than not, students don't use it as much as they should. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And then just the needability. I'm sure there's people that in your class that are all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I think in last class we had somebody getting up at four o'clock to take the class and someone about ready to go to bed at two o'clock and you know, it's like all <laughs> over. And I always forget about that when we're scheduling like, Oh yeah, we got to be really careful with the time zones because of how. Yeah. yeah. It and it's just great because that someone has access to someone like you and your knowledge and experience who lives in California, you know? Yeah. And the thing I love about I animate is I felt like I opened up a treasure trove. I can look at all these different artists, lectures or reviews so i can see how they review i can see some of their thought processes their theories their workflows yeah and i love that i love being able to learn i love yeah, i just love being able to learn from other people who um inspire me or you know make me look some people i look up to yeah yeah you know? for sure um <clears throat> what are you enjoying about the game industry and also the future because i know you mentioned you're just avid gamer so this isn't yeah. someone who's coming into working in games just because of animation what is it that you enjoy in the game industry right now? And, and also, like I said, looking forward to the future. Who man, man, what am I looking forward to? Gosh, there's so many things. Uh, I love how closely, more and more closely related, like for instance, in the past, you play a video game and the stories was just, the stories were so bonkers and, but you're just like, well, it's a game. You know what I mean? And that was always an excuse I heard was like, well, it's a video game, so it's okay. And I feel like that excuse is slowly being more and more thrown out the window. And I still love story and not necessarily like a narrative book or a, you know, walking simulator, but I love when we imbue uh, lore and canon 
in the world that you in over overwatch you look down at a newspaper and there's actually like headlines on this newspaper and if you didn't read it you wouldn't know anything but if you did you'd know that roadhog and junkrat just escaped from junkertown or you know what i mean like <laughs> like things everywhere um <laughs> And I, I love the more of that, and the more we can marry, for, marry that. For instance, another thing is like when you see in a cinematic, you know, for instance, I had those shots where um, Genji and Hanzo are fighting. He throws shuriken's, and there's arrows going through this this lantern. And mm-hmm. and, you, and then the, after that cinematic came out, you go into the game, and those arrows in the floor, and there's shuriken's in the wall, and the lantern's broken, and you're like, no way. Oh, yeah, dude, I totally geek out over that stuff. Oh, that's awesome. So when they marry. The gameplay experience was something, maybe even a cinematic or, or something storytelling, and it makes you feel like you were, you're playing in an area that's lived in. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I love that. that is really cool. Yeah, so the immersion of that, I think, is getting better and better and better. Gotcha. And that's, I think that's a great point to partly what Blizzard and other companies are doing with the uh, cinematic short stories, is yeah. that it's making it feel much more like a, a livable, like you said, world. Yeah. Yeah, when you do play the game. Uh, yeah, that's something I really love about most Blizzard games is that they Blizzard, we are world builders. We don't just make a character that just exists. We build the world with the history and the lore. And I'm I, I said this to um, to Michael Chu, our, our head of story. I was like, man, I'm always amazed at how little the people outside of the company know about our lore. Like inside behind these closed doors, I feel like I know all this story and I have to be careful what I say because people may not realize some of the histories that uh, we're aware of. You know what I mean? And, gotcha. uh, or futures for that matter. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's, I'm really excited moving forward and just to release more and more as time goes on. And I think overwatch as a whole is really in its infantile stages as far as, the IP and where it can go. And I'm really excited to see for our own personal reasons where, where it goes in the future. Yeah. Are you ever um, amazed or kind of even taken back at the reception of how well to receive the characters are? Yeah. I, I think, I think everybody on the team is just always blown away by the audience and how much they love characters. We we have uh, all hands meetings several times a week, and sometimes we'll read fan mail about people gushing over the characters we just. <laughs> it's just really, man, it feels really great to hear that the amount of time and effort and love that we've put into these characters, that people are finding a hero to believe in, or are a character that that resonates with them. Right, right. And because you know all of our characters are from different areas of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to hear people saying like, I just felt like there, we were never going to get a character from my part of the world. And now I have this. And for whatever reason, I just love this character. And, and there's this connection immediately when it's geographical. And Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. And, then, and we try to be as, um, as in tune with the world of where we're co- these characters are coming from. Like we, we try and be as, as sensitive and, and understanding and, and really truthful to where they're coming from. And I, and I, think that when we get that feedback it shows that we were we hit it on the head and, and we showed that part of the world in a good light gotcha nice nice um workflow just out of curiosity looking at your cinematics uh is there anything as far as workflow how you tackle a shot versus your workflow tackling it in uh, in game um yeah what is your uh, workflow? Let me ask you that. I am uh, very much a layered animator. I don't do steps. Okay. I'm not. I. I. 
for many years did stepped and I'd always ask my teachers and mentors like, so what are you doing with that graph editor? Like what's happening under the hood? And I was, I'm not very good at learning unless I know the whys. Uh-huh. I can hit buttons, but I just feel really unfulfilled unless I know why. Mm. Um, yeah. And so when mentors started showing me a little bit more under the hood of what's happening and I understood the why I was controlling these and what was happening when I rotated this controller and how it would appear in a graph editor and how those curves uh, interpolate and, and cohesively work together. It wasn't until then that uh, I, I was sold. And so I'm very much a layered animator. Uh, I like to put really rough poses in to start and I just try to get my timing out. I just try mm-hmm. to get the timing because as I tell my students, one of the things that I think Mary's animation to art in general is, is the rhythm of it, the, the timing of it. It's, you know, if we don't have timing or rhythm, we just have comic book poses, you know? Gotcha. Um, and as appealing and as, as story filled as those gestures may be, um, there's something to the rhythm of it that transcends that, that, that feeling when you're playing it or you're watching it or gives the sensation of where they are and their social status or how they are, what, what, what their age is. You know what I mean? Like you think of someone who's sad or happy, you, you immediately think of the speed of which they move. Or if you think of somebody who's old or young, you immediately think of how they move. You know what I mean? Like, so you yeah. start to put these parameters on there and, and timing wise, I can already see the energy lines. You know what I mean? Like if it's a turtle or a bunny or you know what I mean? Like I can already yeah. feel how I want, or a ninja for that matter. You know, I could really see, in my mind, the timing of it. Now, just out of curiosity, okay, let me uh, ask this one first. And for those that uh, haven't watched this reel, I'm sure you'll ch- you definitely check it out after <laughs> this. Um, there is a uh, a reference that you, you include at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You shoot much reference for your stuff? I do. I, okay. uh, I shoot a lot of reference, uh, particularly for performance stuff. Uh, okay. Sometimes it's a little harder for game animation because you're doing things that maybe a little might be a little more whimsical or you know blowing something up or you know whatever it may be. So that was going to be my second question. So yeah, how do you address some of that kind of stuff for the ninja stuff or the in-game yeah. stuff? You know, um, I try and shoot as much reference as possible or at least act it out and get in the poses and, and stuff like that because <laughs> it's amazing how oftentimes you think this is a great idea and then you see it in front of a camera you're like what was I thinking that was <laughs> terrible I, I'm embarrassed for anybody to see this you know <laughs> and but what's great about that failure right is that it informs you of what you don't like and perhaps gives you an idea of what you would like you know gotcha. what I mean? and by by failing early and failing often you start to build these parameters to work within you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, I definitely know not to go that way or not to go that way. I know I'm going to go this way now. And uh, it helps you commit to the idea earlier on so that when you are polishing, you are committed to the foundation of what you're making. Gotcha. You know? uh, yeah. I don't even know if that answers the question. Is that um, that failing early and failing often in Michael McCarovich? That was something actually from uh, Titan. That was one of our oh, – Okay. Rob Pardo was a big – uh, you know, he at the time he was he was with Blizzard, and, and he always talked about failing early and failing often. And gotcha. Get all your mistakes out as soon as you can, and get that iteration out. Get in the blue sky stage. Just start iterating. Get it. Get it. All those mistakes out. So that, that way, everybody's infor- the decisions that we make moving forward are all informed based off of what we don't want and what we do. Want. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very it's nice. Better to make mistakes at the beginning than at the end. You know. Yeah. That's great. I, I think that's just a great. Um, philosophy because I think particularly as artists and students 
you're you're not wanting to make mistakes. You're wanting to, but that goes yeah. back to even some of the stuff you're talking about. Like with Daniel Klug, you're going, I want that feedback because that feedback is going to inform what's mm-hmm. not working and quickly so that way you can get on board what it will work uh, yeah. sooner. So it's it's a great philosophy, but it's hard to get your mind wrapped around it, I think, initially. Totally. There's a lot of times when you're when you're a greener animator, younger animator, that you're um, you know something's not right, but you can't come to, come to terms with it, and you're afraid to show it to somebody because you know it's not right. But the best thing to do is just to show it to them so that they can at least say that's not right, and then you hear it out loud. And you're like, damn it, I was really hoping that you wouldn't say that, but I feel it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so many times that we just keep working even though we get that feeling, and we just don't we don't answer it yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So how did you tackle some of the shots? Um, I, I don't know the names. I'm sorry, but the ninja yeah, yeah. in uh, Overwatch. Uh, Genji or Hongo, depending on. So that's like, for example, that particular sequence. Yeah. There's a lot of action going on. How did you tackle something like that? Um, you know, layout gives you an idea of what the camera is going to be. And then at the same time, camera work is going to be uh, – in direct correlation with the action that's happening on screen. So typically, you're not really supposed to touch the camera as an animator, but there are times when the camera is a little bit more action heavy and relies more on the the motion of the subjects in frame. Right. That it allows for you to kind of well, it allow the previs is okay with you unlocking just to stage it correctly. Uh, so I quickly started blocking things out just pose-wise. I started figuring out ideas of like, for instance, when he deploys the Shoryukens, like how it looked in the character select screen and how I could kind of embellish it to make it more for what I wanted it to be. And But with it, but the character select screen was like building the parameters, right? Like of what he is, how they move, how they deploy, the motion, the speed. I remember I, I'm a big fan of timing charts. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those old-fashioned, like you look at Milk Call's drawings, you see like several different timing charts, one for each part of the body. Right, I, right. I, I draw them on my screen all the time. I use um, Stabilo pencils, and they're oh, yeah, yeah. pencils, and so I yeah. use those all the time on my screen to, to chart out my timing. And so I remember breaking down the character select stuff to see like how fast this would deploy, where the eases were, where the sharps were, where the overshoots and settles were. So I had the formulas as to how it worked in the game so that when I did it, I kept the same timing formulas but adjusted the poses and made it my own if that makes nice. sense yeah yeah absolutely and i wanted to do that because i felt like it tied the worlds together mm-hmm. as opposed to having this artist's interpretation of how that should work and that artist's interpretation of how that works then it just feels disconnected and i, right. I that really gets under my skin when things are like wait that looks like five different animators worked on this <laughs> you know? yeah it really gets under my skin gotcha gotcha um, and then I sat next to a guy named Peter Starston, who's just, dude, Peter, check out that guy's where That guy is unreal. And he's one of the most humble artists I've ever met. And he just was so great at giving feedback. And he gave me a couple, like, pose sweeteners to just take my timing and adjust the poses. And the force that he helped me imbue into, like, the motion was because I showed it to him and got the feedback. Nice. You know? Nice. Yep. So That's fantastic. That's yeah. great. Well, Casey, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I really, really appreciate this time, though. It was really cool. And just uh, the whole conversation. I love having you as an instructor here. It's just always neat to hear someone who's enthusiastic about animation, obviously at a high level, and teaching our artists. So I appreciate that time as well. Thank you, Larry. Any any last anecdotes or? I think I'm I think I'm dried up. Okay. That's all I got. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm on the, you all took the class now. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Come check out Casey and his uh, game animation workshop. What, what uh, level are you teaching? Uh, two right now. Game two. Okay. All right. Well, come check it out. Casey, yeah. thank you again for your time. I really, yeah, really appreciate it. And thank your wife, too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I've got double duty right now. That's right. All right. Hey, thank you so much, Casey. Yeah, of course. Thanks, sir. Bye.